Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Uncivilized Podcast. This is Traver Bohm, your host, with another Monday morning solo episode of Radio Free America. Uh, today, I'm going to share with you a story from my time in hospice when I was a volunteer there in 2016. But before I do that, I just want to fill you in a little bit on all things man that are happening right now. We've got the Uncivilized Nation had its first live meeting here in Colorado. That was amazing. Had a bunch of guys drive in from all over the state, could talk about all kinds of intimate, deep shit, like DUIs, dick tattoos, marriage, feelings, all the things. You guys are looking for a group of solid, amazing, actualized men to call you forward, to share your challenges with, share your successes with. Please go to www.manuncivilized.com forward slash the nation. And... I was pleasantly surprised over the weekend to watch the sales on Audible of my audio version of my book double this weekend. So it's catching fire. So if you want to go check that out, please do. If you want to get a copy of the book, it's at manuncivilized.com forward slash the book. So let's dive in here. I was in the Santa Fe Care Center in Santa Fe, New Mexico in 2016 on the first leg of my year to live project where I spent the entire year doing a social experiment, living the year as if it were my last. And I had no idea what I was in store for or in store with, whatever, whatever it is, with hospice. Um, I had a feeling going in it would change my life, but I had no idea how challenging, how heart opening, how heart-wrenching and informative it would actually be. And one of the main places I worked was at that, uh, that nursing home, the Santa Fe Care Center. And this was a public care facility. And I want to say that I believe everybody there was doing their best. And yet, as you can imagine with a public care facility, it was still really, really tragic to walk in there just to walk in and see people in all manners of disarray, sitting in wheelchairs, kind of like tucked in corners, crying out. I remember the first day I was there, um, some guy grabbed me from a wheelchair and asked me if I would help break him out. And I'll be honest, I didn't know what to do. I just said, I'm sorry, sir, I can't do that for you. And kind of like took a breath and walked on. But one of my main patients there was a guy named Richard. And Richard and Ernest were the two men that I spent the most time with. If you watch my TED talk, you know about Ernest. Richard was the one I had the most engagement with. Richard was this wild, amazing guy. He reminded me of my grandfather, white hair. He was 92 years old. Think about that, 92. He used to call me kid. And uh, every time I walked in, I'm like, hey, kid, how was the weekend? How's your family? He was really, really sweet, man. He lived through uh, World War II. I think he was on like the third wave of the Normandy invasion and would like always downplay it. He'd be like, ah, oh, it was the third wave. It was, it was all done by then, which I don't think it was. Uh, he had five kids that he'd raised. He was a, a mechanic, uh, an engineer. His wife had passed maybe 15, 20 years before of cancer. And most of the time I would just sit with Richard and listen to his stories. I would just ask him to tell me stories about the war, about growing up in the 50s or living in the 50s, about being married. Like he just had this endless, endless supply of stories. And one of my, one of my favorite, uh, favorite, not really story, but 
this, this thing that came into the nursing home that Richard shared with me was he, I remember coming in one day, he was super excited and he pulled me aside. He's like, kid, 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 guess what? I just found out that when you get to heaven, you get to spend the time in heaven at half the biological age you have now. So Richard was stoked because 92 divided by two was 46. And he was like, ah, oh, 46 was a good age. It was a good age. And he was like super happy for a couple of days. And Richard's main concern was that when he got to heaven and met his wife, that she may be dating and she may have moved on and found someone else. So it's kind of cute to hear that, you know, whatever the community in or you're in or whatever the culture you're in, there's one, there's, there's rumors, right? Because I remember asking him about the, the 46-year-old thing and he's just like, it's going around right? Like truth had finally made its, made its way into the, the nursing home. And he still had real world concerns about, you know, like, what if he gets there and this woman he's been waiting for already has a new boyfriend. But anyway, Richard's challenge was this. All of Richard's friends had passed. His wife had passed. Even I think a couple of his kids had passed. And he didn't understand why at 92, God wouldn't take him. And this was a, an actual concern to the point where he thought maybe he'd upset God and God was punishing him and, and making him live in the indignity of the nursing home of, you know, having to push a button to get help to go to the bathroom, to not having good food, to kind of sitting all day staring out the window or watching black and white movies and, and eating sugar. He dude loved candy. But we would talk about that and I would kind of, I would try to calm him down about it and say, ah, oh, you know, when the time comes, the time comes and I'm sure your wife's still single and it's going to be amazing to be 46. And this was actually the challenge. I said, like Richard looked like he was like 70. He looked super healthy. Granted, he couldn't walk and he was bedridden and he had some challenges, but like he was on the up and up. And I remember saying bye to him. I had to go to uh, Guatemala to do the dark retreat. And telling him I'd see him when I got back. And I gave him a big hug and I left. And when I came out of the dark a month later, uh, I had a couple emails from the woman who was my hospice coordinator saying that you know, Richard had gone to the ER with a UTI. Richard had gone to the ER with a flu and maybe pneumonia. And I remember thinking like, oh, shit, he's, he's going through some challenges. Um, but none of them killed him which is also odd at that age. You know, when you're 92, a UTI can, can, can put you over the edge. And so I fly back to New Mexico and I remember going to see Richard and I checked in at the front desk, like signed my name, took my deep breath, pushed the doors open, kind of steeled myself for what I was about to see, walking down the hall to see him. And I walked in the room and I remember he caught eye at me and he was like, kid, you're back, kid. And I looked at him and it looked like he had aged about 20 years. He looked finally 92. And I remember this washing over me and I walked right up to him and I put my arm on him or put my hand on his arm. And I said, Richard, you look like shit. You're going to die pretty soon. And his eyes lit right up. Think about that. Like his eyes lit up and he's like, you think so kid? You think so? And he was so excited to finally be transitioning and so excited that someone else had noticed that, that his time had come. 
and we spent the day together. We spent a couple more weeks together, and then I had to move uh, move on to California, actually, to give the TED talk. And it was there that I did get word that Richard had passed. And I remember taking a moment and just thinking, oh, thank God, whether you believe in God or not, or thank whoever for allowing this man to go to the next, next stage of his life. And that situation of walking back in the room and seeing him and, and telling him that and watching his eyes light up, it changed my view of death forever. It changed it from, holy shit, here's this thing that everybody's afraid of, this ethereal thing in the future that we're all going to go through, no matter what, you can't cheat this, yet we're all afraid of. Yet here was this man in that moment gifting me this new understanding that death isn't the thing to fear. That death is going to be the relieve and the reprieve at the end. And the thing to fear, if we're going to call it fear, the thing to, to negotiate is we're all going to end up where Richard ended up, right? That nursing home had ex-generals, it had people with money, and it had people who were homeless. And so if we're all heading to the same place, God damn it, we better squeeze the juice out of life while we're going, right? If we're all heading there, and if death isn't the thing to fear, and then perhaps the thing to fear is getting there and taking that last breath and having it feel like it was incomplete. Right? My goal with the Year to Live project was to live in a, yeah, sure, it was an experiment, but to live an entire year so that if I did pass at the end, I would take that last breath full. And that's what I think Richard did. And that's what I hope you take away from this, that even in the midst of chaos and COVID and elections and social upheaval, we still have the opportunity to close the loops that are, that are open in our relationships, to say the I love yous, to say the I'm sorry's, and maybe to get out there and have a little adventure, right? To squeeze the fucking juice out of life while we're still here, we're still healthy, and we're still able. Happy Monday, you guys. I appreciate you listening to these. I appreciate you sharing this. This little podcast is also on the up and up. So if you wouldn't mind subscribing, sharing this, leaving me a positive review if you think so, go have a kick-ass Monday. Go squeeze the, the, the juice out of this day and out of this life. Cheers.